One of the TV shows that has really caught my attention recently is a TV show that follows 10 people as they try to survive for as long as they possibly can. It's been fascinating just to watch. And here's how it works. This, mo this TV show is called Alone. So you follow these 10 people that are apparently survivalists that know how to do certain things to stay alive as long as they can. And they're dropped essentially into the wilderness, away from everyone else, completely alone. Here's the wild part, is they're within about a mile or two miles away from the other person or the other group of people that's going to be there as well. But in the setting of the story of the TV show, they ensure that people are close enough to ensure they can get to them if they need to help them, but far enough away from everyone else that they have no clue where the other person is, so they will never meet. Unfortunately, I feel like that synopsis of that TV show sounds like our lives at times. Following people trying to survive as long as they can. Alone. And I feel like today, maybe you're feeling that alone or loneliness. In fact, this is one of the epidemics that we're seeing in our world today. Isolation and loneliness. Where you're just trying to survive, and it seems like no one else is there. And what happens in the TV show is when they start to feel some of these deep emotions and these deep pains, or they're just extremely hungry, they lose a ton of weight. I watched an episode last night, and the guy said, if you're looking for a good diet, just get on the show. And he's like, I lost a ton of weight. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. How about, you know, I'll just eat differently. Uh, but they talk about there's this thing they can do. They can call the paramedics, they can call the flight team to get them pulled out. They call it tapping out. One person recently tapped out because it was their birthday and they were completely alone. Gave up uh, the winnings of $100,000 because I just need someone. In fact, we're seeing that all over our world today. Many of us feeling like we need to tap out. There's so a doctor, his name is Dr. Vivek, and he traveled the United States and he did, went on what he called a listening tour. And as he talked to different groups of people going through different situations, different stages of life, this is what they said. They said, I feel unseen, I see invisible, I feel invisible, and I feel insignificant. Just like the TV show, it sounds like most of us feel alone. And, and although it's a great idea for a TV show, it's a terrible idea for humanity. In fact, in all of creation, God creates everything. The sun, the moon, and the stars, and the land, and the seas, and everything is beautiful. And he says it was. And then he gets to man, and man is alone. And he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Because you were created for a relationship. There's something within our soul that desires deep connection, deep authentic connection. But so many of us have replaced deep authentic connection for small talk. We've replaced real deep connection for a text message and a night out when all of our schedules align. God said, it's not good for you to be alone. And you're like, I'm not always alone. Just three to four months at a time until we have that dinner. Then we have the small talk and catch up. And then it's another four months, five months. And God is shouting from the heavens and within our hearts and saying, it is not good for us to be alone. But for so many of us, he said, it's just easier to be alone. You know, I feel like I can just do this all by myself. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, I can just carry all of the burdens of the world. This is what Dr. Vivek said the entire nation was shouting, was I can carry all of the burdens of life by myself. Within the same breath, they would say, but if I were gone tomorrow, 
no one would even notice or care. It's not good for man to be alone. But if you're like me, you've been hurt before in relationship. So, so why would I ever want to not be alone? Because what happens if I start to get around people again and then I start to lower down my walls again and then something bad might happen again? I love the author and, and speaker Jenny Allen. She says it this way. She says, if we aren't seen, we can't be known. And if we can't be known, we can't be rejected. God says it's not good for man to be alone. And we say, but sometimes we'd rather be alone. And the beauty of this, Jenny Allen goes on to say, but the truth is, outside of Jesus Christ, relationships are the greatest thing we could ever experience on earth. But so many of us have isolated. So many of us, through different experiences of life, whether it was sickness, whether it was a pain or moving, many, many of us here that have moved to San Diego, and you're just, you don't have people. All of your family is elsewhere. Where, where am I going to find my community? Where are my people? So you just do it alone. And we get into a little room called a car. After we were in a little room called an office, we get into a little room on wheels, drive into a bigger room called a garage, close the door on the bigger room, walk into a big, big room called a house, close the door on the big room to go into a smaller room called our bedroom without talking to anyone. I believe many of us are hurting and in pain on the inside because we feel alone. But the problem with this is, like the TV show, there's a prize of $100,000. The problem with this, the prize is the rising rates of depression and loneliness and anxiety and fear. Where 78% of Americans today say they don't even have authentic relationships. 60% of them would say that I don't have people around me that actually know me. You'd have 58% of people that would say, I don't even have three close friends in my life. It's not good for man to be alone. And so many of us have, have put a pause on it because we don't want to be rejected again and we go through this cycle. I meet someone, we go deep, I get hurt, I isolate. We meet someone, I go deep, we get hurt, I isolate. And God says it's not good for us to be alone. And in this series, Reset, maybe it's our opportunity to reset our mindset when it comes to authentic relationships so I can view and build authentic relationships that last. One of my favorite books uh, that I started reading when I, when I first gave my life to Jesus was written by a man named Paul David Tripp. And the title of the book says, Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. Because relationships are messy. What you're not going to hear today is us talk about how relationships are perfect. Relationships aren't perfect because we're not perfect. But it's in relationships that I found my own life becoming more perfected to look more like Jesus. Last week I shared with you that amazing word koinonia, which is this deep word of fellowship, deep, intimate, covenantal fellowship. I called it the humble, the unifying, the going for the cause of God, no matter what it takes. That type of relationship, koinonia. That's what I believe God wants us to see today. So how do we reset our mindset when it comes to authentic relationships so we actually have ones that last? Well, we're going to be looking in the same book we were in last week, Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 2 today, if you have your Bibles, which is in the New Testament. 
So as I say often, you open your Bible halfway, you'll get to Psalms or Proverbs. Keep going to your right. You'll see the last book of the Old Testament, which is Malachi or Malachi, as I like to say. Then you get to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are great books all about Jesus. Then you get to the book of Acts, and you see the Holy Spirit falls. And then Romans and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, letters written to churches. And then we get to Galatians, same thing, and then Ephesians, and then Philippians. And that's where we're going to be today. To set it up once again, Paul at this time is in prison and he's writing this letter to the church that he helped start with a woman named Lydia, uh, the church of Philippi. And he's writing to them and he just wants to share with them his heart. And in chapter 1, he essentially ends by telling the Philippians, life will be hard at times. Remember, I'm in chains. There will be situations in your life that are going to be really difficult. But in those difficult situations, conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel. And then he starts chapter 2, which back then they didn't have chapters, so he would be in the same thought. So we see the first word of chapter 2 is therefore. And whenever you see therefore, you ask the question, what's it there for? It's therefore because he said, conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel, and this is what it should look like. Therefore, and then he says if. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. That word if in the Greek literally is the same as since. He's saying since you have encouragement from being united with Christ. Since you have comfort from his love. Since you have common sharing in the spirits. Since you have tenderness and compassion. Then make my joy complete. By being like-minded. Having the same love. Being one in spirit and one in mind. Paul is saying, you know, the conduct that is worthy of the gospel is not tearing each other apart, but pulling each other together. And, and I understand this, is, this seems completely contrary to the world today, because it is, and it's supposed to be. Remember, we're supposed to be in the world, not of the world. Everything should be changing. He says, the rest of the world wants to divide you. But you pull yourselves together, because you need each other. He goes on, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Does that sound like the world today? No. Value others above yourselves? Can you imagine saying that in a business meeting? Hey, church. Hey, hey how's, how's not, not the church, but business. Uh, we're going to be here today. Our goal is to make X amount of dollars, and we're going to do that by valuing others above ourselves. You wouldn't hear that. Verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but the interests of others. Oh my goodness. Paul, slow down. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Oh, Paul, this is really difficult. And then he goes on to share what theologians would call some of the greatest signifying and explanation words of who Jesus was and what he did and what we get to experience because of that. He says this, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why did Jesus have to be obedient to death? Because he was fully God and didn't need to die. You and I don't have to be obedient to death itself, because one day we will be their last. Jesus says, I choose to, because the Father wanted me to, for your sake. Verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
in every tongue, acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Some beautiful, beautiful verses, the beautiful words about what we can experience if we start to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, even when it comes to my relationships. So in your relationships, the first thing that you and I have to do, according to what God's word is saying, through someone named Paul who was in the midst of change, in the midst of suffering, and he says, I want you to start with Jesus. Just start there. Now, why would we need to start with Jesus? Well, because God himself is a communal God. In the beginning, God, the word is Elohim, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know, he's, he's three in one, which we call the Trinity. God is about relationship because he himself has never existed without relationship. And so he creates us to be in his image, to be image bearers of a relational God. To then be in relationship with other people, to be image bearers to other people so that they could be in relationship with a relational God. Do you see the cycle? So Paul says, just start there. And Jesus modeled it himself. Jesus, Jesus was someone who understood relationships. Jesus was someone who was able to see people, not as projects to fix, but people to love. What about in my relationships? I started to view people the way Jesus does. When I saw that person that was a little more difficult than I expected at lunch, if I started to see them as Jesus does, you start to wonder what story, what page of the story they're walking through right now, what hurt they're dealing with, what pain they're experiencing. You see, Jesus, like every culture since the beginning of time, 80% of a world today still lives in communal communities, but we live isolated. 80% of the world still hunts together. They still have meals together, raise their kids together, go and walk to get water together. But we isolate. Jesus was in the same type of community. He'd wake up together, have a meal together. The, the average in the stats that I'm reading today of family meals together are in the single percentages. In one week, that a family will eat together maybe once. And Jesus says, in your relationships, <laughs> just be like me. Bring people to the table. I heard one pastor say, the greatest ministry tool available to us is a table. Bring people to the table. Start to view our relationships in those meals and those moments at the table. Start to see what happens as you surround yourself in authentic community, authentic relationships. This is why Paul would say, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, the way that he viewed people, the way that he loved people, the way that he cared for people. You just look at Jesus' life. Just If there were circles of Jesus' life in his relationships, he loved everybody. What some of us are like, that first one is just tough for me. Because I don't know if you've met John. He's rough. You know, like he loved everyone. He fed thousands, a little smaller circle. Who are you serving? Right, that, that might be the city. Maybe locally and globally. Then he trained 120. Gets a little smaller. 120 of them in the upper room. He shared with them. He, he sent them out two by two. We read in scripture. Then he discipled 12 of them, a little closer. And then he mentored and shared in the most deepest Greatest and most painful moments, three. You see, there have been sciences shown us that we actually are very similar in that fact. 
I'm talking science has studied our mind, studied the brain, and been able to say that you can have a hundred, you can manage 150 connections. That's called your network. 150 connections. These are the people that maybe you see once or twice a year. Maybe you email around Christmas or you say, hey, whatever it may be. It starts with your network. Then it goes to 50 acquaintances. These are the people that maybe that you work with, that you see pretty often. Then it goes into your village. This is like, can include your family, but not much bigger. And then it goes to what I like to call your wolf pack, what they called your tribe. We call it a wolf pack in our family. You have three to five. That's all we can manage, according to science. Jesus had more because he's Jesus. And I don't know if you know you're not, and I am, and I am not. But you have those three to five people that are in your wolf pack. I mean, that know everything about you. Where there's no locked doors. Where you walk in and they can just see something on your face and they can tell that there's been a deep wound that happened. Do you have those people that are willing to stop everything to talk to you and to speak into your life? I have those people and I've experienced those people and I'm so thankful for those people. But many of us, we've gone from managing the closest relationships to simply just managing a network of people. And we still feel alone and isolated. You're like, I have so many friends. They might be acquaintances. And that's okay. But we need friends. We need real people that are right there with us. And the way that we manage our relationships is the way that we manage our life. Life management is, is relationship management. And relationship management will show us our life support. In the most pressing moments of our lives, who are those people? As I said, Jesus fed thousands. He loved everybody. He trained 120, discipled 12, and mentored three. In the deepest, darkest moment, the night that he would be betrayed and arrested and walked toward the cross, he went to a place called Gethsemane, this garden. And he brought his closest people with him. And that word literally means to be pressed. And it's surrounded with a bunch of olive trees and it's where they would press to get the olive oil. And Jesus, in the midst of his most pressing moment, the pressures of his life, he brings the disciples just to, to the bottom of the Mount of Olives, right where the garden would be. He stops with the 12 and then he takes the three, Peter, James, and John, and he brings them into the garden. And when Jesus is lost without words to say, he brings his closest friends. And this is what he prays. In Matthew 26, verse 36, Jesus went with the disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, his closest three, Peter, James, and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. We know from the other gospels that even in this moment that blood is literally falling from his face of how pained he is. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Have you been there? I have. I've been in those moments without words. And I gotta have my three. I have to. Notice what he says. He follows verse 38. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
That's it's a very important word with me. Because you're in those three to five people, we need those people that aren't just going to say, hey, you know, I'm praying for you. No, but I'll sit here with you. I've heard the stories of this illustration of someone in a pit and they're in the pit and it's extremely dark and people walk by and they're calling out for help and someone throws down a rope and says, go ahead and climb your way up and they keep walking. A, a pastor walks by and says, I'm saying a prayer for you. Come on, pastors, right? And the, some, someone else walks by, jumps into the hole and the friend looks at him and says, you just jumped down here. Now we're both stuck. And the friend said, yes, it's really dark down here, but I know the way out. Do you have that friend? I think of a few of them that I have in my life. Like I said, it's probably about three to five. But one of them in early 2017, it was about 1.30 in the morning, and the woman at that time, I called my wife, walked into the house, packed a bag, turned around as they were walking out the door, and said, I'm leaving, I'm with someone else, and shut the door. I fell to my knees, broken. I said, God, why, God, why? I didn't have any words. I called my buddy Andy. And this is all I could get out in, in the midst of my weeping. I said, Andy, she left. And he starts weeping. And he says, I'm with you. I hang up the phone because I have nothing else I can share, nothing else I can say. I'm crying, I'm wondering, God, what are you doing? What does this mean? I'm here at this church at this time. God, God, God what are you doing? I'm on my knees. My mind is racing. If you ever had a weight like that on your chest, on your life, on your heart, it's just the depressive thoughts start to come in. There's... You have no clue what's about to happen. You're not sure about the decisions you're about to make. And then I hear pounding on the door. Kicking on the door. And I thought it was the woman at that time I called my wife. Maybe they were coming back. I get up off the ground, weeping and shaking. I open the door and it's Andy. He hugs me. And he shakes and weeps just as hard as I was. He didn't say a word. Because oftentimes, the deeper your struggle, the fewer the words. And he just held me. Two grown men, weeping, in a door jam, in an apartment. <laughs> and he held me. A couple weeks later, I would tell him, that hug probably saved my life. About two days later, I meet with Pastor Mike, talk with him. That week, I had friends come from out of state, friends come where I used to live in Madeira, and they just were in the apartment with me because they didn't want me to be alone. And that's what I wanted. Just leave me alone. They wouldn't let me. They wouldn't let me sleep in the bedroom by myself. They said, we're not letting you sit on the couch by yourself. I say, I want to go, I I'm hungry, I want to get some food. Where are we going? <laughs> I just want to be by myself. They wouldn't let me. And some of you reach out and be there for me. I can't imagine going through that situation without my people. I can't imagine what that would feel like. 
at that time, but other times in my life I did. When, when my father went to prison, I had no one. And I just kept it all in because I can get through this myself. I never want to go back to that again. And while Jesus is in the pressing, he brings his closest people. Are you bringing in your closest people? And do you have them? Because I'll tell you, in, in that moment, when she had walked out, there were some things going through my mind. Oh, I got some words to say. <laughs> but Andy was there. My buddy Wesley was there. My buddy Seabass was there. And it would just remind me, just like Paul did, hey, Marcus, don't do anything that you're going to regret. Nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, walk through this in humility. Value other people, even the ones who have hurt you above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of one another. And for some of us, we read this verse and we're like, that's so easy for me. Good for you. I'm t- Amen. That's awesome if that's easy for you. For me, a knucklehead, not so much. Some of us, this is really difficult. And I believe this is difficult to value other people above ourselves and to walk in humility because we have something that I like to call eye disease. It's all about me and what I want to do. I don't want to go to church this morning. I want to have tacos instead of spaghetti. I want to do this. I want to go there. I want to do this. It doesn't matter the consequences. Me, 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 and my. In fact, they have businesses all about it. Apple, get your iPhone and your iPad and your iMac. Android is not much better. Uh, Android literally means, I looked this up exactly for this reason, Android literally means a robot given a human appearance. Isn't that what it looks like when we're walking with our phones? (laughs) And we call that our friends. It's my community. We, We have to get to this place. Nothing out of selfish ambition. Not some things. Hey, every once in a while, do your best not to have selfish ambition, but it's going to come out sometimes. No, he says nothing. In the Greek, what does that mean, Marcus? Nothing. (laughs) Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Walk in humility and watch what God does. The world says it's all about you. Scripture says it's all about Jesus. One of the greatest selling books of all time, The Purpose Driven Life, the first line says... It's not about you. It's like, are you kidding? It's a purpose driven life. What's my, what's my life supposed to be like? It's not about you. Figure that out later. Chapter one. Good morning. You know, like what? It's about him. And, and if we are citizens of heaven, we should have the heavenly conduct, a kingdom conduct, not the earthly conduct. So you should look different. When you walk into your workplace, when you walk down your neighborhood, when you're walking down the street, when, when there's a, a lane that's a little faster at the grocery store, and then you see the slower checkout who loves to talk to everyone. Oh, praise the Lord. I'm going through a practice where I go to that checkout because that person loves to talk, and maybe they don't have someone to talk to. I'm going to value her and them above myself, because I just want to get out of here onto the next thing. Maybe God wants to do something in that situation. Maybe there's an opportunity for you to get involved, as Pastor Brooks talked about, our life groups, where you get to see people live this out, and people mess it up, and we try to live it out together. In fact, Paul starts to brag on a couple people who live this out so naturally. In Philippians 2, 
verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. That I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Look at this line. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out to their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And he brags on Timothy and Epaphroditus. He goes on, he starts to call Epaphroditus a fellow warrior. He calls Timothy someone that is so enthralled with the things of God that he continues to reach people for the cause of Christ. He's just this kindred spirit. We're just like each other. We can't even help it. Did we just become best friends? That's what he's talking about in this passage. There's a couple people I want to brag on here at Newbreak. Our life group leaders. If you're a life group leader, would you stand up? We just want to welcome you up. Come, Pastor Brooks, come on onto the platform. Uh, we want to welcome our life group leaders. Give all of them a hand. Come on. Now, these people are not perfect. Come on in. Come on in. All the way. We're going to... Yeah, all the way. Keep going. Keep going. Get close. Act like you know each other. Get close. These are our life group leaders. We have no one else like them, like Paul said, who shows a deep and genuine concern for you. You know what I love about these people? You can talk to every single one of them, whether leading couples group, activity groups, men's groups, women's groups, uh, support groups, care groups, whatever it may be. You know what they say? We're not perfect, but we love you. And they welcome you in. And you just might find out that their hearts are big enough to share a piece of themselves with you. And when you do, you start to realize, I didn't know how much I needed these people. And can I just say to you, back to the camera for a second, I'm sorry. Can I just say to you that you are my heroes? Truly. As, as you lead with such humility, as you lead with such care in such a way that says, not my will, but thy will, there are people's lives who are being changed. Many of you, I'm seeing your faces, you have stepped up to lead when you're like, I wasn't ready to lead. That's all of us. But they open up their homes, they open up their hearts, and they open up their time. And they spend time in God's word, they spend time with you. They're the people that you can call at 3 a.m. Some of the people in my life group are the people that I've called when I've, it's been, just been a difficult season. It's been two o'clock in the morning, hey, something's going on, and these life group leaders have been there. They're the ones who will come into a life group, and you won't even know that the night before that they were at someone's house, ensuring that the, the kids could be fed, that the parents could just get a little bit of silence until four o'clock in the morning, and will walk in and lead a 9 a.m. women's group. These are our heroes. If you haven't met them yet, I want to encourage you. These may be your people. So we go into outside and we have our life group tables up. You'll see them out there. And they care deeply. Just like Paul said, I have no one else like them. You might find out, I have no one else like them. So I want to pray for them and commission them into this next season of groups. These people are awesome. And they wouldn't be up here if they were doing this for selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
I can tell you from firsthand, selfishly, many of them will be like, I don't want to lead a group right now. I'm just, I got so much going on and maybe I just don't have it all together. And God says, those are the people I'm looking for. I say, it's not about me, God. I just love you and I love your people and they lead well. So if you would just extend your hands, we want to pray for these people. God, I thank you for our life group leaders. I thank you for how they love, how they care. I thank you for for the training that goes in that Pastor Brooks and the team puts in. Lord God, I thank you for the support groups and the care groups that are meeting with people through their deepest and, and most painful times. God, I thank you for the activity groups that get us just out and moving once again because so many of us have become so stagnant just going to work and sitting down on the couch. God, I thank you for, for our men's groups that are there for men who are going through difficult struggles and great seasons and want to celebrate the men that are looking for jobs, the men who have lost jobs, the men who are in great places in their jobs, the men who are worrying about the next kid that's coming up and the finances. God, I thank you for our men's leaders. God, I thank you for our women's groups, the women's groups that are walking with women through some of their most difficult seasons and their great seasons, Lord God, as as new kids are coming in, as as new fostering is happening, as they're wondering what's going to happen next and where you're going to be at next. God, I thank you for each one of these leaders. And God, I thank you for those of us that are in the seats, just thankful for these leaders. God, let us continue to be a place that grows in relationship because you are a relational God. We thank you, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Give a hand to these leaders. We thank you so much. We thank you so much. It's so awesome. Honestly, if you're not in a life group, I want to encourage you. We care about life groups because they have been something in all of our lives. All of us on staff, pastoral team, we are in groups. We experience groups and we know how much we need it. I know how much I need it. We need to be in groups. Paul goes on to continue with with what else he has for us. He says, conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel. I want you to start with Jesus, model your life after that. And I want you to strive for unity. Don't be divided. There's so many things we could focus on. Just, just, they think this way. They vote this way. They, they like to do this and I don't like to do that. And there's this political view and that political view. And, and they read out of King James and I'm NLT, whatever it may be. Paul says, stop worrying about the division. It should be so scandalous when the world looks at the church because of how unified they are. You know, it breaks my heart. I meet with people every single week that don't believe in God, that um, atheists, agnostics... Um, uh, Hindu, Muslim, whatever it may be, and, and I talk with them, and I ask them this question because I love hearing their answer. I ask them, when you hear the word Christian, Christ follower, Jesus follower, or believer, what's the first thing you think of? Not once in me asking that question in the past probably 16 years has anyone ever said unity. I would love to change that. I would love for them to think, Christ follower? (laughs) Those people are unified. They love each other. They're the people who, they can have so many differences in one room, just like we do today. But the one thing we all agree on, God is good. Devil bad. Right? That's it. That's it. I've said it before. That's theology, one-on-one. God good, devil bad. If we can just get that, everything else will fall in line. That's how passionate Paul is about it. He says, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. Dr. Tony Evans says it this way. He says, unity is not oneness of persons, 
It's oneness of purpose. That's what Paul is getting at. Just, just listen to the voice of God. You look at the over 50 one another's, nearly 60, there's 59 one another's in scripture. Love one another, care for one another, carry the burdens of one another. Be kind to one another. Be generous with one another. If our purpose is to make the name of God known in all of the earth, the one another's will just be natural to us. And the best part about this, when we live like this, when we live unified, we become answer to prayer. In fact, you're the answer to one of Jesus' last recorded prayers. Before the garden, he prayed this. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. You're giving off a message. What are we messaging? My prayer is that it would be this. The message of love and unity. He goes on. He says, I pray that they will all be one. Just as you, are, you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that, here's the purpose of our unity and our oneness, the world will believe you sent me. See, our witness impacts our witness. And so many of us, as I talked about the TV show, have been trying to survive alone for as long as we can. I'm tired of it. I've tried it. It doesn't work. And if you're still trying it, I had a pastor ask me, pastor asked me this question and it still rings in me today. How is that working out for you? It's probably heavy. Exhausting and tiring. Too much weight. It's like too much time. What if just once more we got to live as the answer to Jesus' prayer so that people would know that Jesus loves them and that we would know that we are loved by the people of God. Because even as the first century church begins and explodes, they weren't known for meeting in rows. They were known for meeting in circles. In fact, that's what we see about the first century church in Acts. What they devoted themselves to. This idea of unity and oneness to the apostles' teaching. That's what we're here doing now. They met together. Fellowship, koinonia. The breaking of bread, who loves to eat, praise the Lord. And prayer. And here's the result. The Lord adds daily those who are being saved. You want to see the world change? Do you want to see this nation change? Do you want to see your neighborhood change? Do you want to see the school change? Do you want to see your family change? Do you want to see your heart change? Let's devote ourselves to what God has for us. If you're not in a group yet, I want to encourage you, get in a group. It'll change your life. I believe John Wesley said it best. I want the whole Christ as my Savior, the whole Bible as my book, the whole church as my fellowship, and the whole world as my mission field. I pray that would be our heart as well. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you. That we get to be your people living in community, not only with you, bearing your image, but God, with one another, bearing your image. God, I thank you that we get to live in community. Lord, even right now, for those of us that have felt so alone, give us the courage to find community, to find people today. Jesus, we need you. We love you. 
In your name we pray. Amen. Let's get in some groups today, huh? Awesome.